Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. On the show today, Ducati have revealed who will be alongside Peko Banyaya next year. Joao Mir out, but Suzuki finding it difficult to find a replacement for this weekend's Misano Grand Prix, which we'll be previewing, and some more good news for Marc Marquez just in time for that crucial Misano test. The recording date is Monday, the 29th of August. My name is Harry Benjamin. Joining me as ever is Crash's MotoGP editor, Pete McLaren, and former Grand Prix rider and British champion, Keith Hewitt. And Keith, while the big news breaking this week, uh, we speculated, everybody's been speculating, Ducati were really uh, tossing and turning between Jorge Martin and Anea Bastianini, but they have now finally chosen, and it is going to be Anea Bastianini who lines up in that factory Ducati ride the right decision yeah I think so I don't think I mean there was speculation about Bagnaia having a hand in this I think that the smile on Paolo Giapatti's bloody face after um the pole position um said it all to me when it, the camera came back into the Ducati pit after he pu- pumped that um time in at uh Red Bull Ring said it all really it was kind of justification for what he was probably already thinking I think Bastianini had got the job done really um it's a good choice. I mean, it was a. I mean, it's wonderful, isn't it? When you spoil it for riches, really, when you've got that situation. And Bastianini, I think, has what I've mentioned before is is headroom. I think it's about headroom. He's got that improvement um, still in him to 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 make that next step, which he's going to have to make now that he's with a full factory team. I mean, just to clarify, a full factory team is not always, you know, quite the um, wonderful. Uh, what am I looking for? The, the the upgrade that you might want, because quite often you're on a motorbike that sometimes isn't quite working the way because it's a development bike, because it's a you know the cutting edge of that team. They've not got the data that they will have had for a for a bike that's a year old, um, and sometimes you need to fall back on data. Um, so so a, a a new full factory machine sometimes doesn't quite handle in the way that you want. You can't quite get it to do what you need it to do. You can't. The technicians are still working their way around the data that they've got for a, for a brand new bike. Whereas a, a one-year-old motorcycle, you have all that data already logged and in, in the background, so you can go to some kind of default. So sometimes the the, the, the full factory machine is a bit of a poison chalice. Um, you know, we've seen it with Honda, um, maybe a little bit with Yamaha at the moment with the fact that Quattararo is the only one that can ride it. Uh, you know, you get these anomalies that are in there. But I think Bastianini's got, like I say, the headroom talent-wise to take up that bit of slack. Yeah, two great riders to choose from, didn't they? It wasn't wasn't an easy one, I'm sure. But I think, as Keith says, it's it's the sensible decision, if you like, isn't it? When you look at the results, I mean, three race wins. I mean, 
before this year, no, no Ducati rider had won on a year old bike. And Bastianini's won it three times, hasn't he? So, you know, he's, he's a proven winner. He, I mean, it's a big jump for him in the hierarchy, isn't it? I mean, probably coming into this year, it was eight Ducatis and he would have been, what, six, if, if five GT22s ahead of him. Uh, and now he's going up to basically, Ducati will say there's no one, number one or two, but basically number two to Bagnaia, isn't he? So it's a big, big promotion for him there. If, you, if you're Jorge Martin, of course, you're kind of staying put, aren't you? you you're sort of third in line. And he's remaining third in line. Um, as Keith says, probably this decision was made before that last lap lunge in uh, in Austria. But you do have to wonder, was that a bit of an Andrea Inoni Argentina moment where, uh, you know, could that have had an influence? Probably it was all, the decision was already made. But perhaps, you know, we've seen from the past with the Inoni and Dobby that Ducati don't like riders that maybe put other Ducati riders at risk. Of course, Martin didn't take down Miller, but... It gave Alicia Spargo a couple of points, didn't it? And it gave Maverick a, a, another point for the, you know, in terms of the team's championship for Aprilia. So it wasn't without consequences. But uh, yeah, I mean, what I would say is that with Martin, you kind of think Ducati have won that only world championship with Casey Stoner. And if you were to pick a rider who was more similar to Stoner after his first year, I think you'd probably say Martin. And that's the only thing I would say is that, you know, he wasn't the sensible choice, was he? Casey Stoner in 2007 after that one rookie year. They took a gamble on him and it paid off fantastically. You know, Livio Super spotted that talent if they could iron out those mistakes. And, you know, Jorge Martin on his day is an incredibly fast rider. Uh, the genius here, I think, with Ducati is they signed up both of these guys, didn't they, before they knew which team they were going to ride in. Because otherwise, if you were Jorge Martin, you'd say, well, hang on, there's a Repsol Honda that hasn't been officially filled yet. I'm not, If I'm not going to be in the factory team, I'll go and talk to them. But it's already done. They've, they've both already signed up. They're on... You know, they've both got factory deals, factory money, factory support, etc. It's done. So there's no question of him going anywhere else. And, and that's it now. He's going to be at Primark, presumably, in the next two years of his of his contract. Rider management, quite interestingly, because the, the, the rider management situation was blown apart by Suzuki's announcement as well. I mean, it's a situation where, you know, when did they get those signatures on paper? But they will have wished, will have been grateful for the fact they've got it on paper with with. Ducati being in control of that, you know, you've got two riders that are vying for position. It's very unusual for a for a, a rider manager to not be specific where the next step is, um, and they put that in the hands of the teams, as in Ducati, to make that move. I think from a rider perspective, you know, Bastianini has now got a mentor in the brilliant Bagnaia. You know, the situation there is whereas, you know, in Pramac you've got Presumably, Zarco will stay at Pramac. Um, you know, Joanne Zarco, would he be the kind of mentor for a for a younger rider coming through? I, I would say that is not quite as positive from that point of view. You know, the data that's coming across from the likes of Zarco will be completely different from the data that's coming across from Bangnaya. Now, I, I'm a, a making an assumption here, but I'm pretty sure that Ducati will take the brand higher than the rider as usual, and they'll share any data that Bagnaia's got across the Pramac and so on and so forth, um, because that's the way it's done in, 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 in the way of a brand. But it's still a situation where you're aiming at your teammate first and foremost, then the rest on the grid. You know, Bagnaia is, is going to be the man to, to beat in, in the factory team. Zarco is going to be the man to beat in the Pramac team. What you do get at Pramac is less pressure which sometimes can be a massive positive. It's a very friendly uh, team. It's, it's got a great atmosphere. It's, it's like party, party, party. Um, seriously, 
racing motorbikes, but there is a party element to it as well. So it's a great team. The Jack Millers of this world were made for Pramac. When he came through Pramac, it was just, just a fantastic atmosphere. Um, so I think Pramac, a little bit less pressure from being in the you know independent team side of a factory, because they're all factory bikes at the end of the day. So you know, there's, there's minute differences where, where the factory probably has more advantage is that you get many more personnel direct from the factory that are concentrating on the factory bikes. And then if you're an independent team, there's, a, there's another step down, if you like, of, of that kind of assistance. Um, and I think that's just clear right the way through the, through the grid. But I still think that Bangnaya, to have him to aim at, if you've got, like I say, that headroom, that little bit extra step that you're trying to make as in Bastianini, to look across the garage and see Bangnaya there, who could easily still be world champion this year. We're not done yet with this world championship. Um, you know, it's 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 going to be an interesting year in 2023. Can't wait. What what does something like this do for like the the mindset of of Jorge Martin? I'm sure you know he's he's a young guy as well. But this would have this would have been a big blow for him. You know, on a professional level, wouldn't it? Revenge. It's you. I want to prove you all wrong. So it's it, you know, there's a lot of positives to being you know, perhaps held back a little bit in the Pramac team. Is it held back? I don't know. I mean, it might not be held back. Let's wait and see. But but it will be that, you know, if he needed any motivation, which he didn't, because basically all these guys are massively motivated, that will be an extra percentage point um, that will, you know, he'll be fierce off the off the line with this. He's got to control that. You know, it's, it's you, you can't make mistakes. You can't do an Andrea Iannone, as we keep um, using as an example at Ducati. You know, you've you've got to kind of play the game, but it will be interesting to see how fired up he is for that. You see it all the time, don't you, across motorsport when when seats or rides are confirmed, you suddenly you know you 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 the pressure's off almost, and a driver who hasn't been performing or a rider who hasn't been performing suddenly excels massively. But what this has done, Pete, as Keith alluded to, is Joan Zarco and Jorge Martin. Now that is officially confirmed, isn't it? They are going to be remaining at Pramac. Yeah, that's right. That came out sort of a, a quick announcement in the aftermath of this Friday evening sort of announcement, which is the same time as the Suzuki uh, replacement announcement. It's that time period where you sort of, if you put out an announcement on a Friday evening, it's kind of one of those where you've got to make the announcement, but you're not really that keen on giving it too much publicity. And I'm guessing that with this, they want to get this all out of the way before the home race at Misano, don't they? That's really what this is about. There's been a lot of speculation for months, isn't there? We've known this, this has been a head-to-head between these two guys. The pressure's been building. We saw that it was getting a little bit close in those early laps in Austria, wasn't it, between them? And uh, so I think they'll be glad to have got this officially out of the way. The one thing Jorge Martin's saying put, put means there's stability there. He won't have to move teams. Uh, you know, if, if, if Bastianini had gone there, that would mean that both of them would be in new teams next year. So it just gives a bit more stability, I guess, to the, the whole overall Ducati project. Um, their crew chiefs, of course, moved with the riders at Ducati, so it's not just the riders moving. And as Keith says, the, the Bastianini-Bagnaia um, partnership really going to be fascinating, isn't it? Because Bagnaia fast at the start of a race, Bastianini fast at the end of the races. So you've got these two guys, as Keith says, really quite thinkers, quite quite clever guys in how they use the bike and, and having something special in terms of performance. But at complete opposite ends of the race quite often, we saw Bagnaia sort of having to bite and then hold on in those last laps in Austria. And yet time and time again, we've seen Bastianini. He's really strong, isn't he? He just bides his time, uses his patience. He's got Andrea Dovizioso's ex-crew chief with him, um, Alberto Durabola. So again, maybe it's a bit of that that knowledge that, that worked so well with Dovi, where he was great at just holding up the pace when he needed to and using the maximum of the tyres in the race. 
And now we're seeing that for Bastianini. So put those two guys together. And of course, if Bastianini can qualify better with that kind of end of race form, he's going to be pretty formidable next year. You made me feel quite sad now you mentioned Dobby. 346th Grand Prix this will be this coming weekend at Mizano. It's going to, I don't think it's really hit anybody because it's been a, it's been a, a pretty obvious build up to where we're going. I mean, Dobby stepping off the roundabout, you know, early is a good thing for him. There's no good finishing your career, you know, way down the field and hurt. So stepping off about now, it's not like he isn't wealthy enough, but it's really, Dovi is a world champion that, that it never quite happened for. You know, like he was there or thereabouts. He's the only guy that could take it to Mark Marquez regularly. Um, I don't think we can underestimate the, the level that, that Andrea De Vizioso was at. Um, it's a shame it's sort of gone out with a bit of a whimper, but I'm going to miss Dovi being around the paddock. Very intelligent man about the way he goes about his business. Unassuming, you know, all the things that, that certain motorcycle racers aren't. Um, he's an asset that the, the, the paddock um, are going to miss. I was going to say, do you think he leaves behind, uh, despite obviously the, the, the poor end, which we've seen with multiple, you know, obviously Valentino Rossi's end in, in, in MotoGP was, was not the ending he would have really have liked either. But do you think he leaves a, a, a strong, lasting legacy? I mean, look, 15 wins, 62 podiums. He was, he was pretty decent. <laughs> well, I think the way that you've just summed it up by saying he was pretty decent is is pretty much the understating of Dobby because yeah he was pretty decent was he a great rider if you put him up against Mark Marquez and some of the classic you know battles those two had then yes he was if you look at the result sheet then no he wasn't 346 Grand Prix you know the the, the ratio isn't as, as, as great as that I think Dobby will slip into history um, without much fanfare which I think is a shame because he was better than that um, but he was up against some great riders. I mean, whenever you were as his teammate, he usually had the bettering of his teammates. Whoever he was, whatever team he was in, he usually was, was you know, fractionally he had the advantage over them. And Dovi, you know, he, he was, I think he's an old school racer, really, in his, in his thinking. He, he reminds me of slightly a man out of time now and literally is out of time now. You know, it's, it's come to an end. You know, he's been there and done it across all classes and he will leave the Grand Prix paddock with a huge amount of respect from riders and teams that he's worked with but perhaps as far as history is concerned he'll just slip into the the grey area if you like of not quite a great sorry to say that sounds terrible doesn't it but that's the way I feel I think, as he's saying, really, he'll be remembered more by the riders and as an inspiration for the riders because he's someone whose best years came quite late in his Grand Prix career, really. He, you know, he was the Repsol Honda rider quite early, one year at a satellite team, straight into Repsol Honda, and then, as we've talked about before, dropped down to Tech Tomorrow for a year and then came back and built that whole great period that Ducati had, let's say, with Gigi and all these other people involved. But, I mean, he was right the way through that. We've heard Aleish Spargo talk many times about trying to do that same thing at a pretty, of being inspired by Dobby, that you can stay with a project, not just try and keep jumping to what looks like the best bike at that moment, but actually try and build the best bike with the team in the way that Dobby did. And as he says, almost took him to the top. And, and the, other, the other thing that stands out for me is that I think of all the, the title battles I've seen sort of the last 20 years, they didn't fall out. You know, the, the battles with Mark and Dobby, there was no nastiness, was there? You'd see them chatting on the on the way to the podium afterwards about, oh, you know, you were quicker than me there, I was better than you here. It didn't descend into that kind of, 
you know, the bitterness that we saw with really every other title battle over the last two decades and probably beyond. Maybe that's what was missing. Quite possibly. Well, if well, if you're if you're watching uh, this weekend, uh, you will be watching this weekend. Just make sure, have a little look. He might not always be on on the screen, but keep an eye on Dovi on that timing screen as well. In what will be uh, his final race in MotoGP, Cal Crutchlow will step in uh, on that bike and finish off the remainder of the season as well. But I mean, it's been a big week uh, for Italy, hasn't it? But if we look. Uh, much further away, uh, Japan, uh, and lots of news uh, from the Suzuki camp in the form uh, of who will replace Joan Mir, of course, after that huge high side in uh, Austria. He's uh, ruled out with these ankle uh, with his ankle injury, uh, but also nightmare test and reserve rider Sylvain Gentoli also injured so he can't do it so there was loads of speculation apparently uh Delilah Patrici turned it down and uh Axel Bassanini a world superbike racer also decided no and now it's Kazuki uh Watanabe who is going to be racing that Suzuki which uh is a reward you think Keith yeah I do I mean I think that the Suzuki you know Suzuka I mean Suzuki finished uh, Watanabe was a third place man, I think, at Suzuka, which is which is a major thing, the endurance race for them. <laughs> Somewhat ironically, seeing that Suzuki are pulling out of not just MotoGP, but obviously the um, endurance world championship as well. So there is nowhere to go. <laughs> I mean, it's quite it's quite amusing, isn't there? there there'd be so many people scrabbling to, to to wildcard on that bike or to substitute on that bike at, at Misano. Normally, we're going to Misano, one of the homes of, of brilliant racing, and, and and on a factory Suzuki, but nobody really wants to do it because there is no. There's no end product. There's no end game with this, is there? Suzuki are out of MotoGP. There's nothing really to, to be gained. Um, you know, I would think Gintoli's quite happy to have a, a busted wrist at the moment to put yourself through all of that um, at a racetrack like Misano. Um, you know, test rider, he, he would have done him proud and he would have loved to have ridden the bike and he would have proved that he, he's a great rider, Gintoli. But, but there is no end product for it. There's nowhere to go with, with that ride. Other teams are pretty much solid at the moment. It's not like you're going to... It's not like you're going to enhance your... Um, status, should we say, in the paddock with Suzuki. Um, so it is a problem. And Watanabe, 31 years old, he's going to have a bloody job to qualify. He's got to be within 105% um, around Misano. Hang on a second. I don't think he's ever been to Misano. I can't remember Watanabe being at, at Misano at any time. Um, he's in the All Japan Championship, which you know, is okay. Um, but he's going to have a struggle. It's not going to be an easy week for him, that's for sure. He'll bite his lip and get on with it. At 31 years old, you've pretty much been there, done that. Um, so he'll 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 be there or thereabouts, I suppose. But you've got to be within 105%. Otherwise, you fall into the discretion of the organisers to whether you actually get on the grid or not. And that ain't going to be easy. Mizano, those guys are red hot. They're, they're absolutely on. They're on fire at the moment in MotoGP. Um, yeah, you know, that 105% time is is not an easy time to make around somewhere like Misano when you've got Quattararo and Bagnaia bashing the bits out of each other to to put the fastest times in. And you need a, a grid position at uh, Misano as well, which you can be fairly sure that there isn't going to be any quarter given or asked for. They're going to be at it. Yeah, it was the same track, was it? Misano, I think it was 2018, where they reduced, or, or the aftermath of it, that they reduced it to 105%, wasn't it? It used to be 107. Mm. And we had that whole thing, I think it was... Uh, Christoph Ponson came in at Avintia, not having ridden the bike before, etc. And a few, of, well, a few of the riders were a bit concerned. He was obviously, I think, about four or five seconds off the pace. I don't think he would have qualified under these new hundred and five percent rules. I, I always and... felt sorry for Christoph Ponson, the amount of crap that he had to take. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He walked in there, he got given that ride, and he he got a lot of 
S-H-I-T, when he didn't really deserve it as a rider. I, I, I remember that specifically. I mean, I don't know Christoph Ponson at all. I've never met the guy. But I remember feeling, you know, hang on a minute, there's a boy here trying to do his job and, and he's getting crap from all sides. <laughs> and then they move the 107 to 105%, which is good. I, th- I mean, I think that you should you should not become a backmarker. Backmarkers should be a thing of the past at this level. You shouldn't have people that are, you know, being lapped. And I think that uh, 105% is a fair percentage to uh, to put on the on the qualifiers. They're kind of forced into it, aren't they? Because you, you've got this thing where it says they have to make every reasonable effort to field a replacement, don't they? So they have to find someone. But at the same time, as you say, Keith, you know, there's so few riders that, that can ride these bikes quick. There's so few testing opportunities. So you can't just say, oh, well, we'll give him half a day of a testing before the race begins. You can't do that because of the testing rules. So you've got to find someone. They've got to be able to get within 105%, but you're not allowed to sort of help them out and give them any sort of training beforehand because that counts as, as testing. So, yeah, it, it's, uh, I mean, the whole idea that, that uh, Watanabe can just go out and enjoy this weekend is pretty much off the table from the start because <laughs> this is going to be on his mind, right? You know, well, enjoy it. But, you know, if you're too slow, you're going to be out of here by sort of Saturday midday basically in this so uh yeah let me, let me think about that for a moment Cavone, the first time he arrived at Cavone, turn 11 that that absolutely 150 mile an hour right hander that's got a big wall to the left hand side <laughs> the first time he arrives there on a motor gp bike <laughs> that'll have his eyes wide good luck i think is all we can say to uh kazuki uh <clears throat> excuse me because uh, it's going to be a steep learning curve uh, for uh, him, but we wish him all the best. But he does step in for Joao Mir in uh, that Suzuki. What's also going to be really uh, interesting, Pete, actually, is because we've got the Masano test as well, and uh, Mark Marquez uh, making a, a, a very big return uh, to MotoGP in Austria, just uh, putting, uh, getting involved in the meetings and, and becoming uh, sort of the the head rider consultant almost i think well he can't actually be on the bike he's gonna consult that thing as much as he can but it seems like he's been given the green light recently from his uh his doctors to to continue ramping up his uh his recovery ride even though i think his granddad was uh, telling him to, to stop uh riding you've had enough just just leave it now but he clearly wants to come back do we think we'll see him feature actually on on a bike at masano or is that still way off <laughs> It's still to be decided, yeah. We know that Honda, Alberto Puglia's come out and said, look, you know, even if he just does a handful of laps, that'll be worth it for us mm. because at the moment they really need some direction for next year. And, and as you say, um, Harry, this is the big question. Will he be at this test? Because if he isn't, the next one is at Valencia in November. And that's just, that's it then. And that's it until next year. So they would, Honda would love him to be at this test. I think that, you know, we'll see him on another kind of bike first. So that will be, as Mark said, he's pretty sure that whenever he rides a bike, and as you say, he's been cleared to do heavier lifting and basically cleared to, to start training on motorbikes again. He thinks he'll know pretty soon what, what sort of condition his arm is in. It's not going to be, you know, he's going to need days and days of, of trying bikes to know if he can ride again. So, yeah, I think I, I, I think there's going to be a lot of expectation on him to, to come back and just do some laps. I mean, the bone apparently is fully healed, is what is what this latest statement said. So... There shouldn't be any any additional risk there. Mark himself said, well, I'm not, you know, there's no point waiting till I'm 100%. If I'm 70 or 80%, you know, I may as well get on the bike. So this is the perfect chance to do it outside of a Grand Prix weekend as well. It's a mark of Honda being in the position they're in at the moment, isn't it? That, that, that they've still got all their eggs in Mark Marquez's basket. 
you know, here's a guy that's been out for such a long time. He's had a major, major operation, another one on the same arm that may or may not be right when we get back to putting the major stress back on it. Um, the fact of the matter is, is he's turning up at the moment in an executive position, giving ideas to Honda by looking in rather than being on the bike looking out, if you get my drift on that one. You know, the fact is, is that he isn't riding that motorcycle. That motorcycle has evolved to where it is at the moment, and he's doing what all motorbike racers do, watching from the side of the track, watching on TV, trying to get a, a you know a drift on the nuances of, of the way that motorcycle isn't working for everyone at the moment. I mean, Paul Espargaro was, as we'd expect from any Espargaro, was quite, um, should we say, forthcoming with a comment regarding where they're at as far as the Honda is concerned. I bet Honda love that. Um, but the point being is that Marquez isn't going to be fit. It doesn't matter what anybody wishes or anybody wants. He is not going to be bike fit. He's done nothing on a motorbike. He is not going to be, you know, 75% of the Marquez we know and love. He has got a long way to go before he comes back to the kind of performance, the kind of confidence, the kind of attitude that he would have on a motorbike. You know, like anybody that thinks that even the great Mark Marquez can step straight on a bike and be bike fit enough to go as quick as these guys are going at the moment is, you know, completely wrong. It's it, This is going to take more time than people are giving him credit for, I think. I'm sure Mark knows that. His granddad certainly knows that. His granddad's comments were quite interesting, weren't they? That, you know, he, he basically says, look, you're wealthy enough. You've done enough. You know, you've been world champion enough. You know, step off now. This is it. You know, Mark has said, this is the last chance. This is the last go that he's going to have at making a comeback. Um, you know, we are still in the in the zone of not having a Mark Marquez in 2023, in my view. You know, if this doesn't work out, there is nowhere else to go. There is nothing else that he can do. He is absolutely, this is the last roll of that dice to bring back Mark Marquez. If he's not fit enough, if the arm doesn't work in the way he wants, if he has another off that causes him, you know, this is the other problem, push too push too hard too soon you know his cat-like reactions for saving motorbikes have not been honed for months you know you can't ride like he rides without the kind of input that he puts into the mileage that he puts in on a motorbike all that's missing you know you're risking you the, the rate that you're the, the amount you're risking to try and push it as hard as we know he can push it without the the track time is risking it even greater. It's a much higher risk level. So we've got a long way to go yet. Mark's got a long way to go yet. You know, everybody, everybody wants to see Mark Marquez back on track um, because he's a massive asset to our sport. You know, he is something well, he, that everybody aims at. Even just looking, we talked about it before, you know, this whole idea of having a, an alien, a superstar in MotoGP and, and Mark Marquez not being here the last few races, you could tell how desperate Dawn a word to, to to get him back on the screens because even when uh, in Austria there were there were bikes out on track they were they were showing a lot of a lot of Marquez just wandering around uh, in the pits in the paddock because they need his face on the screens because it, it, it's crucial for for MotoGP to have somebody like him as part of the championship. Well, you've just opened a whole new can of worms there for the old podcast, haven't Sorry. you? Sorry, Let, let's go let's go there right now, Harry. I mean, like the fact is, is that the sport. We, you know, we're at Mizano, six kilometres up the road is Tavulia, where where obviously the base of Valentino Rossi. 
you know, we, we've been into this conversation. Mugello had nobody trackside comparison before. That was because the ticket prices were high. Was it because Valentino wasn't there as well? Maybe a little bit of that. We had Silverstone, 41,000 people at trackside. Um, is that because there was a World Superbike round recently? We got BSB coming up at Cadwell Park, as was this last weekend. Da, 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 were people saving up to be somewhere else other than be at Silverstone, perhaps? You know, there's so many things here at the moment. You know, yeah, they're looking for that superstar. Valentino Rossi's gone out. The sport doesn't see it as that. You know, I think a lot of people within the paddock, you know, Valentino Rossi has left us. Well, I won't say so what, because it is quite a big deal. But so what? We move on. We go to our next superstar, whoever that might be. It might be Bastianini. You know, these things move on. This is sport at the end of the day. You know, these guys can't go on forever and ever and ever and ever. And it's the sport that's in a very healthy position. I hesitate to say that about 2022 because I think that we've just, at this moment in time, MotoGP is not quite as exciting as it has been over the last seven or eight years. I think this is the first slight dip we've had in that massively rising graph of, of brilliant years that we've had in MotoGP. Um, I hesitate to say that because I, I hate to say it because I think MotoGP is in such a good position with the rules, with the, the manufacturers up until Suzuki pulled out, obviously. You know, the possibility of anybody else joining out. Know, Dorna have said that they will, they will extend the grid if we get other manufacturers that are interested in coming and so on and so forth. You know, there's a lot of positives out there, but at the minute, we don't have that kind of sparkling rivalry. 2015, where Marquez and Valentino were absolutely banging heads on track and off, <laughs> that brought in media from outside. You know, we, we, we're like insulated motorcycle racing, unfortunately. Grand Prix motorcycle racing, again, if you use a Silverstone example, how many column inches were there about the MotoGP British Grand Prix compared with the, the Formula One British Grand Prix? You hardly saw it anywhere. And that, that kind of rivalry thing, you know, people go on about Lewis Hamilton because of his ethnicity, you know, variants or whatever it might be, you know, that is another one that blows up and you get people, you know, the, the unconscious bias that we all talk about nowadays. We were talking about it before we came on air. You know, the BBC have just launched a big unconscious bias tone that you've got in broadcasting. You've got to be very careful about what you say. You've got to be able... And you know what? Despite the fact of my age, and you know my feelings towards this kind of box ticking um, stuff, I hate it. But there is unconscious bias. And as broadcasters, we should be aware of it and be controlling it to a certain extent. We should not be uh, promoting unconscious bias. But then when it gets to the silly end of the market, where, where every single little thing is considered to be some kind of bias, a negative bias, that I don't agree with. Don't know how we got rambling in that direction. But anyway, we get that. You know what? I was thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> Basically, what we get down to is column inches is what I'm going on about. The promotion yeah. of our sport. And the fact is all these elements are out there, but for some reason or another, we don't get that kind of interest in, in, in MotoGP that we really ought to be getting considering the quality of the sport. Um, and that will come down at the end of the day to the personalities in it. Who have we got in the sport that transcends our sport? We've got a great sport. It's been fantastic right up until maybe this year. It's, it's dulled off a little bit. Why are we not getting that? We, it's better than Formula One. I'm sorry. It's better than Formula One when it comes to the actual gladiatorial jewels on track there is no doubt in my mind anybody watch how can spa be boring 
you know, how can Spa be so boring? I watched that Formula One race in between the bits on, on BSB at the weekend. Honestly, you would need a, you had to slap yourself every 10 minutes just to stay awake. And yet, that will have got all the big headlines, all the big, you know, press, if you like, compared with MotoGP, which, you know, if we'd had MotoGP at Spa, it would have been sparkling. It would have been mm. something really spectacular on track. And that's across three I, I, classes. Yeah, I, I actually, I agree with you. I haven't seen the full Grand Prix. <gasps> Shock, not yet. Um, I've seen a little bit of it, but... Uh, well, stay yeah. awake if you can, Harry, and you're a big car man. I mean, it, it, <laughs> it, would, it is difficult. And, and when you've got, you know, we talk about sometimes Ducati making slight mistakes here and there, but Ferrari, for some strange reason, if they can make a cock-up, I'm sure they've got a list of cock-ups and they tick them off when they make it every time, you know. It's, 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 well, I can see Pete looking for views because I'm sure he didn't watch the bloody Formula One. <laughs> <laughs> Don't blame what? <laughs> I tell you, I tell you what, though, I, so I didn't watch it because I was at a car fest, Chris Evans' car fest uh, this weekend. Sorry, there were, there were no bikes there. Um, but I did bump into a couple of young guys who ran over to me screaming my name and they said, Oh, we love the podcast. We love Pete. We love Keith. We love the MotoGP. We listened for a year. So, uh, thank you very much to you two guys who came over. So, we've got two listeners. We've got two listeners. <laughs> well, we got, no, we've got three my mum oh i own keith's mum and keith's mum <laughs> fair play fair play so that's three okay so let us know if there's any more of you just let us know so we can just carry on doing it that'd be great um but uh i wanted to get on to talking a bit more about masano that's where it's all kind of uh, stemmed from um and and the rossi effect i wonder will it be in reverse because you know he's not there now but talk us through the track keith quarters to watch out for what what do you need for for a good flow around misano we, we, we should get an exciting race hopefully even in this slight dip of moto gp i think you have to start with Misano as a place you know where it is on the Rimini coast you know you've you got it's, it's a little bit dated now Misano and Rimini in general I remember when I first went to Misano obviously the track went the other way around back in the day um but the fact is is that it's in a it's in a lovely area even though it's a little bit dated it's a it's a bit like a bit like the Isle of Man you know you've got the, these wonderful Victorian facades all the way around the, the the seafront and all the rest of it but they're all a bit older and a bit flakier paint and so on and so forth and and kind of the region of, of Rimini is a bit that way nowadays the track itself is not the best track so you've got quite a lot of track in quite a small area um but it's got such a lot of history you go down you know the Giro Cato Drive or whatever it might be there's names of, of different people you've got a, a big monument in the middle of one of the roundabouts you know Marco Simoncelli was it is the, the you know Marco Simoncelli track isn't it now as as named um but there's a lot of history that goes on there and obviously the hordes you know the 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 raiding hordes of yellow as it used to be that used to walk the, the six kilometers in from tavulia having revved themselves up out of control in in rossi's you know village down the road um and it is just one of those places that's got the got the vibe i think is a is a phrase that i may use even at my age it's got that kind of feeling about it that you, you know you that you talk about I'm going to Misano, you know, it's a big deal for a motorcycle racer. It's a big deal for a motorcycle fan um, to be there. Uh, generally, the place is absolutely rammed full. There isn't another place. Um, they're good tunnelers. They'd make great escape artists or something like that, you know, the great escape because they can tunnel under any fence or climb over any fence. Um, I'm sure that the, 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 the official figures are always about 10,000 short because of the ones that got in there for free. Um, one way or another um, the Italians are quite quite uh, spectacular when it comes to working their ways into into racetracks 
But even even when you drive down that first little bit of road and you turn into the first roundabout where the first set of security is, you're going, I'm at Mazzano, and it's got that feel about it. And the paddock's full of people that you shouldn't be full of. Um, and the fans are, are, you know, looking forward to something fantastic. And you've got, you know, there are some corners at, at Mizano that just take your breath away as a rider. You know, in the past, you used to come out and you've got like three corners that increase in speed. You know, you're gassing it out, gassing it out, and everything's spinning, spinning, spinning. And Cavone, which is now turn 11 Cavone, you come in the other way around. But when it was a fast left-hander and there was this like, you know, 10 meter solid, concrete wall with fans on top of it to your right hand side at 140 mile an hour as you went through the apex um it used to be fairly scary sideways on now you're coming the other way because it's a little bit safer um going the the kind of clockwise clockwise way around the the track and cavone now you approach it and you are really really motoring you can just about get through it on a motor two bike just with a sort of roll on the on the limiter if you like motor three is flat through there but motor gp really gets your attention which is why i mentioned kazuki watanabe earlier on you know that that turn 11 oh he's gonna it'll be a while before he goes through that anything like the speed he should be um then you've got because it's 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 now decreasing speeds through the next two or three corners so you you go through that as fast as you can then you're a little bit slower in the next one a little bit slower in the next one before you get to the hairpin where all, all the action is and everybody's bumping and barging and trying to push it up the inside it's going to be i think that the the surface as well at Mizano is something that um, has been controversial over the years. It depends on the racetrack surface, how it's going to be this year compared with previous years. You can never be quite sure with Mizano whether you're going to have a grippy track or not so grippy. Is it going to have a few ripples here and there? We'll wait and find out when we get to FP1. But it is one, as is most of the MotoGP tracks, one for the bucket list. You've got to be, you know, the whole... The whole ice cream and restaurants down the Rimini coast, sit by the sea, Ooh. you know, looking out into the coast and riding or driving the short distance to, to the, to the racetrack and being sucked into that Italian atmosphere. What's not to like about being in Italy anyway. Um, food is brilliant. Atmosphere is outstanding. The Italians are all mad, particularly when it comes to racing. Um, we're going to have a spectacular weekend. Oh, you've, you've painted a perfect picture there, Keith, of uh, what to expect. Pete, what are you watching out for this weekend? Anything in particular? Uh, well, it's Ducati's home race, of course, as well as being all the Italians' home race. So, uh, yeah, you know, they should be strong here. They test here a lot. Pretty as well, of course, but also, I should say. And uh, so there's going to be a bit of a rivalry there, isn't there? That, that Usually Ducati has obviously been the favourite at this track, but this year with the Prettier, could they steal the home glory? That would certainly be a big coup for them if they could... Uh, beat Ducati but it's going to be they're going to have a job on their hands um yeah you know this is a track where we've seen Banyard and the Ducatis going well in the past so um as key some you know, atmosphere that's the thing that, that just springs to mind with, with Mizano if you just looked at the track on paper you know it's flat and it, as he says it, it's, it's crammed into quite a small space but it's the atmosphere that makes it special and uh, certainly on race day morning when you you know there's going to always well certainly in the Rossi years there was always going to be this huge sellout crowd but still standing there and looking out at all of these fans because you are it's flat you are sort of down on that sort of level it's a bit like at Assen when you look out at the banks of people as well always always is, is is something spectacular to see and so yet yeah, we cross our fingers that after what we saw at Mugello that this will be another event with a lot of fans at it not this kind of low turnout that we saw last time so there'll be a lot of people I think keeping their fingers crossed of course we've had the Covid restrictions in previous years that have kept 
all of the fans away. So, yeah, I mean, let, let's hope that uh, they return in the numbers that they have done in the past. Absolutely. Um, right, it's that time, guys. I hope you have prepared uh, diligently. Prediction time for this weekend and it is tight in our leaderboard and in fact it's me that has lost out after last week because Keith and Pete tied with 11 points in the lead but I'm only one point behind in 10th with 10 so it's still to play for uh Keith you look like you're working hard trying to scrabble together some ideas what we got there what does that say oh weather oh oh is it gonna rain thunderstorms Oh, well, to be fair, didn't it? It said it would, I mean, Austria, I know, is up in the mountains, so it can either all come or not come. But it did say it was going to rain a lot over the weekend, but it didn't really come for the race. Well, I thought I'd just check on it, just um, just because you were asking for predictions again, which is always a pain. Yeah. You know, like, and, and seeing that I'm lagging a bit nowadays, my, my sporting bets are causing me a problem. <laughs> good thing there's no money involved in these ones <laughs> if there was i'd be five points ahead of you <laughs> true <laughs> i'd actually think about it a little bit harder than perhaps i do <laughs> come on then enough stalling well based on the weather uh, i'm gonna go quattararo miller quattararo miller bangnaya okay Couple of Ducatis, but the Yamaha to win out. Pete, I'm also going Quattro for the win. I, I think Ooh. that it's, it's a big weekend for him against the Ducatis, and I think he really wants to, you know, take some points off them. Just stop this momentum that Banyai's got. Banyai, we know, goes very fast there. Uh, so yeah, I put Banyai second. I, I hope it'll be a great battle between them, but we haven't really seen yet, have we? Um, one or the other has always sort of got in front and stayed there. And then for me. I mean, last time I went with Martin because Austria was a bit of a Martin track. This this weekend, I think it's a Bastianini track. I mean, you know, he's been on the podium. I think he, he had his first win there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm going, you know, Bastianini for third. But honestly, if he can qualify from what he did last year, was it third from 16th on the grid or something? I mean, if he can qualify in the top 10, he might even win it. I'll tell you what. Um, and what a way that would be to, to sort of celebrate the new contract. That's a great shout because Bastianini was on my... He was my my th- my man in the top three until I looked at the weather, and I replaced him. Yeah, and I replaced him with Miller because I think that Bastian I think Bastian Bastian could win it. Well, come on then, finish off. So who's second though for you, Pete? Oh, sorry, uh, Bagnaia. Oh, Bagnaia. Bagnaia and, and then Bastianini. Okay. Yeah. But oh. as Keith says, Bastianini could win it. <laughs> I think that as well. Well, it just so happens that I put Bastianini in first, obviously. Oh. Uh, <laughs> what, you mean, what, you mean just then? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, hang on. <laughs> Who did you say was also good? Um, you, <laughs> you know no, you know what? I actually was going to put Bagnaia first, so I'm going to stick with Bagnaia. I, I want, I'm thinking an all-Ducati podium. I'm just not entirely sure of the audio. And I actually thought maybe Martin might sneak on because he's fired up after not getting the ride. That's so good I'm, I'm gonna good thinking, I'm gonna Harry. stick with my guns. I'm actually gonna go Banyaya and then I'm gonna go Miller and then I'm gonna go Jorge Martin because I think he'll be fired up and not happy yeah. about the fact that he's lost out to Bastianini. That is a proper sporting bet, Harry. Full respect <laughs> to you. Full respect. 
Absolutely. Come on, Jorge. <laughs> um, right. Well, there's only a few days left until we go racing once more in Masana. I think that just about does it from us lot. We'll shut up for the time being. Uh, make sure you're tuned in, of course, to Crash.net for all the latest news and analysis across the week. And then we shall be back with you next week to look back at all things Misano. Get your questions in. Leave them in the comment section or tweet Instagram, Facebook, because just search Crash MotoGP. I actually did see a question for me. Someone asked me if I ride. I don't. But uh, Keith might teach me one day. Uh, But in the meantime, until that happens, leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts as well. And we'll see you right back here next week. Bye-bye. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.